Welcome to Because the Beatles, the podcast about the Beatles, everything about the Beatles 24-8. I'm Erica. And I'm Allison. Before we start, as always, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts or stream us on Spotify. If you're enjoying Because the Beatles, feel free to leave us a preferably five-star review so other Beatle maniacs can find us. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be posting videos, photos, and more from this episode and beyond. And you can also email us at bcthebeatles at gmail.com. Yes, and today is a very special episode. I'm so excited. All about my favorite Paul McCartney album. Making me hungry for some pie, some flaming pie. Hell yeah. I wouldn't recommend eating a flaming pie, though, because, you know, fire. Okay, I see. I'll stick with listening to it. Or I will use my brand new flaming pie oven mitt that I just bought <laughs> off the paulmccartney.com website. Oh my God. To shield myself from that hot flaming pie. <laughs> we just, as we were just chatting before we started recording, we just discovered that there's Flaming Pie merch on paulmccartney.com. So yeah, Erica just bought the mitt. I'm going to buy the mitt. And there's a Flaming Pie stamp, which, I mean, it's exciting the deepest child part of me because I always wanted one when I was a kid. And I'm going to make that happen. I'm going to make that effing happen. And I will be complete. I'll be complete as a human. This is it. I am so excited to receive a letter from you with the Flaming Pie stamp <laughs> on that envelope. Oh, my oh, God. It's going to be all over. I'm going to get <laughs> so many different kinds of inks. It's going to be oh, it's going to be an extravaganza of this stamp. I will stamp it everywhere. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's a Flaming Pie. Yeah, I mean, this is, like I said, my favorite Paul album. And I get flack for saying that because it's like how that's like sort of unheard of that flaming pie from 1997 is your favorite paul mccartney album but i have a lot of memories forming of relationship with this album right after i became a beatles fan because i became a beatles fan in 2000 and this was like still the new paul album yes there was run double run in 1999 which is also fucking love that album but this is you know the last paul album of like original material that he put out and it was a big one and I just fell in love with this album, played it all the time. I can still like see myself as a kid, like sitting on the ground, listening to the song we were singing. Um, that song always brings back memories of being like 14, 15 years old and just Aww. like worshiping this album. Yeah. I love the little Flaming Pie logo. Hence why I'm getting the stamp. I bought a domain in 2001 called flaming-pie.net. Anybody who knew me on the internet back then, they will remember that. And I recently, piece of trivia, I got it back. I, so I got flaming-pie.net back, which I don't know what I'm going to yes. do with it, but something I'm, with it. I'm very glad to have it. Yeah. You know, it's a little piece of my um, digital history, if you will. I love this album and I'm excited that we're going to talk about it. And I'm excited to talk about these amazing McCartney archive releases that just came out. I really thought when we heard the rumors that they were going to do Flaming Pie next, I'm like, no freaking way. Like, you're punking me. Like, it's not going to happen. Lo and behold, they are out and they are glorious. They did this one well. Yes, they did it right. They did. Oh, my gosh. I, yeah. We'll talk about it when we get further on in our episode. But, I mean, the deluxe edition, I can't even think about where to start because I have like the three LP laying here and the deluxe edition and it's like both of them are just so beautiful and well done and they got so much shit on them that's like it's mind-blowing it's it literally leaves me at a loss 
yeah, it's just, it's simply artistic the way they did it. It's yeah. Just so much to explore. It's the detail. It really is. Like I did a live unboxing on our Instagram, which is still up. You can go find it um, at BC the Beatles on Instagram. But when I got the deluxe edition, which is not the big box, but it's the next big box. And people were warning me. They're like, be careful. Like, you know, there's a pick that falls out of that envelope. I'm like, okay, good. I'm glad you told me because I probably would have lost it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it, you're right that there's stuff tucked in. It's anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but it's it's awesome. The album is awesome too. It feels so timeless, and a lot of it is owed to the Beatles themselves. How this album came to be is really, it is very interesting because you can thank the Beatles really for this album. A lot of the songs on Plymouth Pie, which we're going to go track by track, not necessarily in album order, but more in the order when uh, as they were written because some of them stem back, one of them stems back to 1969 when, you know, Paul, uh, when they were first married and the years afterwards when they were raising their young family. Around the time of Fleming Pie's sort of inception, Paul had been doing the Beatles anthology project with George and Ringo and of course, George Martin and many others. And then he started to get for really the first time in his life, really nostalgic about the sixties from the time the band broke up really through the seventies, eighties, early nineties. He was really kind of focused on his career wings and the anthology was really the first time when he took a look back. It started actually a little bit before that, I think, because the 89-90 tour was the first time where he started putting Beatles songs back into the set list when he took out the Hoffner. And I think that was probably about the time when they started really working on anthology. That's right, because the the fact that Paul brought back the Hoffner was a massive deal, right? Mm-hmm. It was huge. With the Beatles anthology project, which was 95, there were two new Beatles songs. You know, I wasn't a fan then. Erica, do you remember those coming out? I do. I remember watching them in my grandparents' house with my dad because it's all happened over Thanksgiving holidays. I don't remember real love, but I remember seeing that video of Free as a Bird, like the grainy oh. black and white Liverpool aerial shots. And so great. Just seeing like, oh my God, this is just, it's a real Beatles song. Like they made another Beatles song. Holy shit. It was like a fantasy. People say like you know they never thought they'd see another new Beatles song in their lifetime and both of those tracks were produced by Jeff Lynne of ELO and Tom Petty's producer and done so many things which I actually didn't realize that but knowing it makes a lot of sense (laughs) because those sound like Jeff Lynne produced songs but I'm not mad about it they totally do I didn't realize how much Jeff Lynne was involved in Flaming Pie until I started going track by track. Yeah, totally. He was very instrumental, uh, pun intended, you know, along with obviously Steve Miller, who we'll talk about. Obviously, this is like Paul sort of stepping back into the Beatle years. And, you know, we've seen a lot more of that come out over the 23 years since Flaming Pie was released. One of the things that Paul sort of rediscovered in this anthology project was how the Beatles recorded. It blows my mind because it wasn't all like artists take time to record albums today. They take years between records. They have massive production and all that stuff. Now, the Beatles, like they worked shifts at EMI Studios. So they, because of the union, they were under the Musicians Union. They worked in three hour chunks from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. And then 2.30 to 5.30 and then 7 to 10 And in between, they took their breaks, their union-regulated breaks. And Paul has said 
that it never took John and him more than four hours to write a song. And that was like pushing it. Like he has, says sometimes it only took them two. That's just incredible genius at work right there. Yeah. Because it was like really under strict conditions. It's like, okay, okay, you have three hour, three hours here, three hours there, and you have to take this break, even if you're in the middle of something. I would love to be a fly on the wall one day, go back in time and see what a recording session was like back then. I mean, the engineers, they wore lab coats. It was patriarchal with the, you know, the engineers were the parents and they, you did what they said. Yeah, I can't imagine even the Beatles four years later willing to comply with any of this kind of thing. <laughs> no. And yeah, I mean, they really changed all that, obviously. Like their sessions would go all night. They probably wouldn't even start sometimes till like 10 or 11. I think they're probably a big part in changing the regulations for musicians being able to kind of have more freedom in the studio. Yeah, and drugs. Drugs helped too. Oh yeah, drugs. Yes, mm -hmm. drugs. Um, yes. So because Paul had been so enmeshed in the anthology project, the label was like, Paul, listen, if you don't want to come out with a record, you have this contract stipulates you have to come out with XYZ records. But, you know, you've been so busy with this, you don't have to come out with a new one. But Paul, he came out of the anthology with really inspired. He really wanted to create an album using the same sort of quick and dirty method that the Beatles use in the studio and how he and John Song wrote what how they wrote songs there we go yeah, that sounds right <laughs> there, we, there we go um so floating pie naturally was the resulting album he likes to call it the quote-unquote don't sweat it album because again a lot of things were done quick and dirty a lot of things were done in his studio kind of stripped down you know it was a very much like a loose album and he really wanted to have like that homemade feel to it where he's playing the majority of the instruments and the songs are kind of off the cuff in some cases. Some cases they're literally a jam that maybe he put words to or he and one, he and Steve Miller are playing off each other. Of course, the name kind of blends itself to a homemade uh, approach, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and the logo, which you'll be stamping all over the place. Yes, again. <laughs> <laughs> when I stamped that literally all over my walls. Oh, accent wall. Mm, interesting. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dude, I have a playing pie poster. I have one. I bought on eBay like 10 or 15 years ago. Oh, that would be amazing. Okay. Do you anyway. Have a backsplash? Just, just wondering, do you have a backsplash that doesn't have any tiles on it? Because... Uh, no. But that, oh, my gosh, that would be amazing in a kitchen. I do. You're going to have to come visit me with a stamp. Oh, yes. That's <laughs> happening. Okay, okay, okay. This is great. <laughs> Welcome to Interior Designing with Floating Pie. I will mention, you you made a pie. I did. Out well, of yeah. From the flaming pie inserts, which we'll get to later. But you did cook a flaming pie. I cooked two of Linda's pies in this process. Amazing. Yeah. You'll hear my official review uh, later in the episode. Um, but yeah, I, I did some baking, which is crazy, but you know, quarantine. All right. So let's get into the tracks. Like I said, Paul, you know, kind of mind his back catalog for some songs, which he tends to do. And then we're going to go through them one by one, not necessarily in the album order, but we're going to start with the, by far the oldest song on the album, which actually finishes the album. And that is great day. This might be my favorite song on the album. I love this song. Why? I really love the McCartney album and not just as a, you know, experiment and acoustic and being out in his own. I love that homemade sort of 
country adjacent feeling that he has mm. when he does these little songs and, and Great Day fits right in there with like Hey Diddle and um, Teddy Boy and all of those songs that he did back then. It's just a sweet, lovely little song. That makes a lot of sense because it really originated around the McCartney days. It could have been on an album like Hey Diddle or, you know, Bip Bop or whatever, but mm -hmm. it only emerged on Fleming Pie. Um, this is a song that he and Linda would sing to the kids in the kitchen in the mornings or, you know, just one of the, the songs they would sing around the house as a family. One of the lovely things about this song is that Linda is very prominent on this. She does the harmonies um, and the callbacks at the end mm -hmm. of the track. And on the DVDs, one of the DVDs that's included with the deluxe edition of the box, oh my gosh, it's such a beautiful clip of Paul and Linda in the studio recording it together. Mm -hmm. um, and it's so bittersweet, obviously, because this is the last Paul album she was involved with because she was diagnosed with cancer during the making of the album. And she passed away less than a year after it was released in 1998. So it's a bittersweet album and it's a bittersweet end to the album. And in fact, it was a last minute addition. So the second to last track, Beautiful Night, is a really big number. It's a meaty song. And he felt like it needed something to close the album, kind of like Her Majesty closes Abbey Road. And so he decided to toss this on at the last minute. Great idea. It's a wonderful way to close out the album. It really does do, I think, what he wanted to do, which was kind of ease out of this whole thing in a really handmade kind of feel. Yes. Which, and you know, Beautiful Night does not do. And we all know Paul loves like a secret track at the end of the album. You know, mm -hmm. Off the Ground has that with Cosmically Conscious. But, you know, this isn't, it's not a secret, but it is sort of in that vein. And this song is still in the fan zeitgeist, as it were, as part of the Flaming Pie archive release. Paul's team had requested that fans send in videos of themselves at home, as they said, enjoying a great day with the people they love to be edited together in a fan video. That video came out recently on September 13th. Um, it's really cute. Like it's a mix of people doing cute things with their dogs or working from home, some people making masks, some essential workers. One thing that stood out to me was that at one minute, 19 seconds, there's this guy in it that freaks me out because like, I don't know if he did one of those face swap things or what, but he looks <laughs> so much like Paul, like bearded, like let it be Paul. And he's just like sitting there with like a, fl you know, flaming pie t-shirt on. Like it almost looks like he's like mixing and singing along and he just, it's weird. Oh, I see it. I just went there in the video. Totally. Like, doesn't it look like he used like the reface app or something to make himself in the ball? You know, it's funny. It's like, he's got like, it looks like a drawing of Paul, like on the back of the McCartney album, like in front of him, which is yeah. kind of like what you're talking about, like the look that <laughs> he kind of resembles. If that's his real face, that's a good cosplay for him. He's yeah, good. he should do that. He should yeah. uh, cosplay Let It Be Paul. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd be there for it. There you go. Definitely. There's been some other videos that have come out around these releases too, which um, some are better than others. Well, we'll talk about it. Um, the second song we're going to talk about is The World Tonight, another one of the album's big numbers, another one with like some really beautiful videos that go along with it. Paul has talked about he wrote this on holiday in the U.S. in 1995. It's funny that he said this song started off folkier 
I, I guess I can hear it if I think about it, but it ended up quite heavier because part of the creation of this album was Linda sort of persuading Paul to start to show off his electric guitar skills. You know, we've kind of seen it since with him sort of shredding like Hendrix on tour and that kind of thing. But this is where she was like, you know, Paul, you're pretty good at the electric guitar. You should uh, put some edgier stuff on this album. And in fact, she would say later that he probably could have done more (laughs) on Fleming Pie. The World Tonight recorded during Paul's second session with Jeff Lynn, who produced a good chunk of this album. And in the DVDs included in the box, he addresses what is my favorite line, probably one of my favorite lines of any Paul song, which is, I go back so far, I'm in front of me. I've marveled at it since I was a kid. And um, he said that he gets asked about it and what it means. And he says it's just nonsense that like, quote unquote, came to him as he was writing, which like really pissed me off. (laughs) It really pissed me off, I got to say. But that's how they were. Like Paul said in one of the liner notes, he said, if I'd been writing with John, he would have gone, okay, leave that one in. We don't know what it means, but we do know what it means. I think he was probably referring to like the movement you need is on your shoulder or something like that. That's part of the reasons they're such fucking geniuses. They could just come up with this stuff. And all yeah. of us are sitting here like, that's brilliant. They're like, I don't know. <laughs> but like, uh, IDK, I guess. I mean, <laughs> yeah, because these lines, they sound like gobbledygook, but we can instantly relate to them. Like, I go back so far in front of me. Oh my God, I get it. I mean, yeah. I don't know why I get it, but I totally get it. I love that line. It's brilliant. I've always kind of thought the song was about Linda. And how she was, like, harassed and hounded by paparazzi and angry fans when they got together. There's a line that, you know, I saw you sitting in the center of a circle. Everybody wanted something from you. And he talks about paparazzi. That was what immediately came to my mind when I heard it the first time. Well, I think that makes so much sense. I hadn't thought about it before. But then when I started thinking about it, there's kind of a through line from this song and the encouragement he would be giving her to basically don't mind them, fuck off, whatever, to her final song that she recorded, The Light Comes From Within, which was a giant fuck off to her haters. That's so true. I didn't even think about that. And it probably, I mean, it was in the same sort of time period. It definitely was. And, oh, interesting. I mean, that's the thing. It's like with any of us, but especially with songwriters, it's like there's so much in your subconscious. Like, I'm sure there's some connection there. You're probably Mm -hmm. right. Um, So now we're going to move to the other big song on From the Pie, which is Beautiful Night. Um, And it is kind of like the biggest song. Kind of old at this point when Paul finally properly recorded it. It was at least 10 years old. And he had had a recording of it made around 1986. Uh, He didn't really know what to do with it, actually. He recorded it in New York around that time with some of Billy Joel's guys, uh, which I would love to hear that. I don't think it's on this this box. But it makes a lot of sense that he would record it with Billy Joel's guys. It does kind of have that feel. It's very piano-heavy. It's funny you say that because there's a scene in the DVD. uh, (laughs) And I laugh because I've heard this, like, I don't know, it's called a parody, I guess, of Beautiful Night Forever. And it's Paul and Ringo at the piano. And they like sort of sing at the cabaret, almost like Billy Joel style. And <laughs> they start it. But when it goes into like the second verse of the bridge or whatever, like they start singing, because you're a bastard. <laughs> and That's I remember, absurd. 
I remember like a shitty like wave file of this like circulating the internet in the early aughts and I just loved it so much but I never knew where it came from until I watched the documentary on this box which is the in the world tonight it brought me back immediately to like sitting online at like 2 a.m like listening to this and like laughing my ass off like when it came on the the documentary I was it was hilarious amazing I love it um and speaking of Ringo this song is why he why Paul invited Ringo to join him in the studio obviously they've just done the anthology together like Paul has asked Ringo to do stuff on his albums forever so yeah this was the song that he the costume to ask Ringo to join him he'll Ringo will reappear on a couple of the tracks too and this song features a gorgeous score by George Martin uh recorded pretty late in the album process actually this was another like last minute sort of like I think this score would be great on this song deal um recorded in February 1997 the DVDs again to talk about them some more they include some amazing footage of these recording sessions with Paul and George Martin and some of them are very funny and some of them are just very like you know you get to see the whole process it's it's very cool I'm glad he kept this on the shelf for 10 years. It was because he, yeah. He liked the synth so much in the 80s. And I oh. feel like if he had produced this in the 80s, there's a good chance it could have been overproduced, really synthy. Maybe George Martin wouldn't have been involved because the anthology wasn't happening yet. And so it wasn't on his mind. And it might not have been the epic masterpiece that we hear now. Absolutely. And it's funny because the next song we're going to talk about was written around the time of the off the ground sessions and it didn't really fit kind of that full band sound that you know Paul was into at that time and when you say that it's like I can't imagine this song ending up on off the ground because it would have been just sound it would have sounded totally different um of course that's Calico Skies and this is one probably one of only like two or three from this album that Paul occasionally busts out live I wish you'd do more. I, I, you know, there are a lot of songs on this album that would be so good live. And I wish he did it a little differently because he kind of changes how this song is done when he does it live. And I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, sidebar. I think it was three years ago today. We saw Paul at NASA. Um, Yes, I've been seeing those pictures. Yes. Oh my God. Happy Paulversary. Oh my God. Happy Paulversary. Was that the, that was maybe the last time I've seen him? I can't remember. No, I think I've seen him one time in between. Did you? Maybe. Maybe not. No, I don't think so. That was the last time I saw Paul. I think that was the last time for me too because of my uh, Dodger Stadium debacle, which I won't get into because I will cry. Uh, Uh Happy times, happy thoughts. Happy thoughts. Yeah, Paul, that was a great show. Amazing. We were like in what, like fifth row or something? Fifth row, right in front of Paul. So effing good. Ugh. Anyway. Uh, yeah, Calico Skies. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, this song was written in the Hamptons, again, during Hurricane Bob, which happened in August 1991. And as a lot of us do that, I mean, I have memories growing up in the Midwest of hiding in the basement during like tornadoes. The hurricane sent the McCartney family down to the basement. And, you know, they really didn't have any entertainment other than old-fashioned, good old guitar time. So Paul decided to make up a song. And he, (laughs) I laugh when I say this because he says it's a lot. Um, But he says he wanted to make something kind of like Blackbird, which how, (laughs) like, drink every time he says that, guys, really. Um, 
yeah but he and then he you know sort of calls it a love song that became a 60s protest song i'm looking at you jenny wren <laughs> yeah there's uh, a couple of different uh, later blackbird incarnations but just a few but yeah I, I this is a great song so the demo of this which is included um in a lot of the different configurations of the archive is really cute it features some really nice family chatter and at the end one of the kids says nice one dad that's so cute <laughs> so so cute it's adorable and again we'll talk about more of this at the end but uh the demos on these boxes are amazing and, and to hear the you know the evolution of these tracks is awesome going from calico skies to one of my favorite tracks might be my favorite i love this song it's so underrated and if i have one qualm about the archive it doesn't give it enough love and this track is called souvenir and it is it's just so heartfelt it's so emotional the album was almost named souvenir so maybe it would have gotten more love (laughs) probably yeah (laughs) it has a really funny um connection to the title track which we'll talk about in a second but i gotta mention first the demo of this is my favorite demo appropriately because it has a completely different feel paul's almost in a falsetto the whole time i think a phone rings in the middle of it it feels very um you know organic uh recorded during paul's jamaican vacation it's awesome i can't recommend it enough i think it's on spotify this was the one where he liked the demo so much that he kind of he played it in the background so he could hear it while he was recording the studio version so that he could try and get that same feel to it yeah and it doesn't really change much insofar as the melody and the cadence and how it kind of comes together but it's just sort of it has a different attitude um in the demo and it's just lovely and this song was actually really instrumental again haha um in creation and and the creation and evolution of the album itself, because when Paul was working with Jeff Lynne, they started adding in a bunch of guitar parts to Souvenir, and they started changing it, and it started to get heavier, and then it started to get faster, and they were experimenting. But then, you know, there was like a whole new derivative song that came from this weird tinkering with Souvenir, and that's called Flaming Pie, the title Yay. track. So excited for my oven mitts. <laughs> I know. Could there be a better product uh, for Flaming Pie? I think not. Yeah, I didn't know this, but now, like, again, like, knowing it, it makes so much sense. I could totally hear how Souvenir and Flaming Pie are siblings. Yeah. And so Flaming Pie is really true to the concept of the album because this is where Paul said to, to Jeff Lynne, who was in the studio with them, let's do what John and I did. Let's create a song and record it and everything, have it done and dusted in four hours. And he sort of already had the germ of this rolling around in his mind um, because one day he was riding horses with Linda outside and he was sort of like, his mind is wandering, thinking about lyrics and he thought of sky and he's like, what rhymes with sky? And for a moment he thought of pie and then he's like how would I write a song with the word pie in it like what that's ridiculous the guy who gave us obla di obla da and Luke <laughs> for Indian on the moon thinks that the word pie is a ridiculous word to integrate into a song he draws the line at pie Erica really <laughs> that's what we're finding out wow he's like this is too crazy even for me god he must really have a thing about pie right I mean he think wait fish and finger pies for true fish. he'd already yeah. used pie yeah. God, 
That's a gross phrase. That's Penny Lane. What's six song? Dude, nasty. Not, not appropriate. <laughs> uh, we'll have to do a whole episode about inappropriate Beatles things. Oh my god! And yes. do a whole series about inappropriate Beatles things. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, anyway, so but he's thinking, he's got pie on the brain here, as you know, we've all been there. Um, but he remembered. <laughs> he thought back to not so distant past. John's Man on Flaming Pie story because that showed up in the anthology. It shows up in the anthology one album where it, there's an audio clip of John saying the Flaming Pie story, which mm-hmm. is so the Flaming Pie story is um, that John was talking to Mersey Beat magazine, and this is actually the first issue ever of Mersey Beat in 1961. And he was giving uh, Bill Harry, the editor, a little bit of a fake Beatles bio, like a funny thing with a lot of like jokes and, you know, the typical John humor. And John wrote, how did the name arrive? It came in a vision. A man appeared on a flaming pie and said unto them, from this day, you are Beatles with an A. Thank you, Mr. Man. They said, thanking him. Jesus. <laughs> Why Jesus? I just, when every time I hear the story and then I think about Paul, Writing a song, it's saying, I'm the man on the flaming pie. Mm. It just feels so ballsy to insert himself in that narrative like that. And it makes so much sense, too, because like starting with the 8990 Flowers in the Dirt tour, you know, as we were talking about, Paul started getting more outspoken about his contributions to the Beatles. He brought back the Hoffner. He started making his set list at least 50% Beatles songs, which in the Wings days, he had almost no Beatles songs at all. And if he did, he changed them up and made them sound a bit different. In 1989, I had a quote from him from the 48 Hours with Paul McCartney, which you can find on YouTube. But if you're one of the cool kids like me, you had on VHS, which you wore out when it was made. And in that, uh, the interviewer asked Paul about things that he's seen like out in the world that you know made him not too happy and he said i've seen one or two things that you know kind of said john was the beatles and these other guys just backed him up that bothers me because it's not true i pretty much gotta leave that for people to find out you know if i start coming on heavy and try to say hey you know i was just as important as john it's very unseemly so Mm. saying something like that and then putting a song out that says that i'm the man on the flaming pie to me, I mean, maybe I've got my tinfoil hat on, but I feel like that is Paul saying I matter too. And, you know, just because he passed away does not mean that my contribution should be, should go unnoticed. Yeah. Oh, totally. I could go off. I have so many thoughts on this topic, but just to keep with the, like the song Easter eggy kind of thing, you know, look at the song Early Days from the new album in 2013. Uh, oh you know, that's the ultimate, like, fuck you i was there i know what happened you don't i can only imagine as you were reading that quote i was thinking god and this is before the internet you know this is before everybody has an opinion about paul and his contribution to the beatles and can you imagine how hard it must have been for him i mean not only did he unfortunately react very poorly to the news of john's death publicly and that's he does not have a good track record of reacting well to death and um, so he got known as being very callous. And then they started deifying John even more than they had done when he was alive. And it must have been extremely frustrating for Paul. 
to, you know, try and keep his mouth shut about that. Like you said, it's unseemly. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I sort of kind of enjoy like how he litters these little like, like I'm good too things throughout (laughs) his, his songs over the years. Um, It just sucks that it still bothers him. You know, I think think it really does. And he said it in a couple of interviews um, in the last maybe five or 10 years. One of the things we've talked about before on the podcast is that John gets all the credit as like the avant-garde Beatle when Paul is way more avant-garde in a lot of respects. Like, I mean, that is just one of the injustices of it. And I, I get where Paul can be very frustrated by that. It obviously comes across as petty, so it's hard for him to express it. But at the same time, it's not petty because it bastardizes his relationship with John, his partnership with John, for people to be saying that he was so much more inferior when John would never have said that. John never thought that. Making Paul less does not make John more. And it's just frustrating for everybody around him. Yeah. As I was saying before, he said in the liner notes for this release, like, you know, a lot of his songs are subconscious, but that is the ultimate, you know, subconscious sort of line that comes out of your mouth. If you're writing a song uh, that involves Flaming Pie, it's like, I am the man on the Flaming Pie. Yeah, damn. Yeah, right? (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Man. They said thank you, him. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Man McCartney. my god uh yeah it's pretty amazing and i love that it shows up on this album and it's not even a callback to i came up with the name beatles because he didn't that was not him he's never claimed that it's him yeah he always concedes it's john and Stu who came up with it Mm -hmm. but it's like (laughs) i came to john and the bitch (laughs) (laughs) which is hilarious i mean i'm you know it's definitely tongue-in-cheek but uh but there's some truth behind it there's a little there yeah 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 um, and, you know, of course, the title seems ridiculous to people who are unfamiliar with the story or whatever. Um, but Paul actually was sort of bouncing ideas off of people for the, you know, the title of this record. And he's like, OK, what about Souvenir? OK, what about the song we were singing? Uh, not really. Blah, blah, blah. Well, oh, what about Flaming Pie? And everybody laughed. And he was like, OK, well, that's got to be what it's called. And I kind of love that it was like a deep Beatles callback, you know, for the Beatles fans who, you know, there was an invigorated fan base after the anthology. And I'm sure they were like, hell yeah, you know, we get that. We know what a flaming pie is. Yeah. And much larger percentage of the audience would know that after having seen the anthology and buying all of those CDs that they put out because it was on there. On to what was the first single from this album in the UK called Young Boy. So this track Paul wrote while waiting for Linda on an assignment. Linda would go sometimes to people's houses or a location to do a cook, a cooking demonstration or make a lunch for like, you know, paper. So in this case, it was New York Times. And she was cooking a lunch for a writer uh, who's doing a profile in August 1994. And when she would do this, Paul would go with her and maybe drive her and then kind of hang around while she was doing her thing. And he liked to set these challenges for himself. Going back again to he and John would write with these crazy time constraints. So Linda's cook may have taken like two hours. So he's like, okay, two hours, I'm going to come out and people are going to say, oh, well, what did you get up to during this time? And he wanted to be able to say, I wrote a full song, which it's like, okay, number one. It's like, number one, you're Paul McCartney. And then he said he would play them the song, like on a guitar. And I'm just like, 
and he's saying this like nonchalantly i'm like um i would be on the floor past the fuck out if paul mccartney was like let me just play you this song i wrote i mean well i was waiting for you for two hours yeah right like if you're just like a reporter or a photographer who's there just along for the ride you're just like oh okay <laughs> anyway back to gun boy Paul sings in the in the song. He sings, you know, he's just a young boy looking for a way to find love. Originally, it was supposed to be Poor Boy. And in the box, you will see some handwritten lyrics from Paul uh, where Poor Boy, uh, another title, was Find Love when he was coming up with the song, um, scratched out on the lyrics before he finally settles on Young Boy. Yeah, he kind of abandoned Poor Boys because he thought it sounded like Elvis, which totally, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to hear it with the poor boy intact, it's on the demos included in these packages. And it has like an additional bridge that doesn't really fit. And I'm glad he dropped it. So the lyrics were inspired by uh, thinking about James, his son, who was about, you know, 18, 19, uh, when this came out, when he was recording it um, and doing all the work there. So James and his friends who were about the age where you start to ponder the big things, you know, it's sort of like, oh, what am I going to do? Like, am I going to find somebody? Like, just the mysteries of life that have scared the shit out of all of us sort of occurred to him at that point. Another big impact that James had on this album was James was really into Steve Miller at this point. And Paul sort of had this memory of meeting Steve Miller back in 1969 when, okay, here's, take this with a grain of salt, because with a lot of stories, particularly told by Paul, it really depends on who you believe. <laughs> um, but the, the kernel of truth here is that there was a Beatles session that ended in sort of a, a fight, if you will. Uh, George walked out. What a surprise. Yeah, I can't believe it. Shocked. Shocked. John did too. George probably led, led the walkout. Yeah, no, George was fucking over it by 69. He was just like, I'm out, like, mic drop, I'm out of here. Um, but Paul, so Paul was essentially left there alone. And then allegedly, and there are several different versions of how this happened. Like Steve Miller just poked his head in and was like, Hey, is anybody using this? Paul was like, well, I'm here. And he and Steve Miller recorded a song called my dark hour, which Steve Miller released on his next album. So there George suck it. (laughs) Yes. That's exactly the subtext (laughs) of what happened where Paul's like beating the shit out of the drums on my dark hour it's like this is for you george harrison yeah ringo you can suck it too yeah you can all just suck it is uh is just so of course paul appears on my dark hour under paul ramon because you know that rears its ugly head every once in a while no i love it beautiful (laughs) (laughs) oh man um anyway so so james's interest and this memory again paul's getting really super nostalgic led paul to call up steve miller and reconnect with him and he had this track already written and he's like oh this might be a good one for for steve and i to do together so steve miller invited paul out to his home and studio in sun valley idaho and they recorded the track together uh in february 1995 it is so 1995 do you think so it just makes me feel like I'm back in the 90s for some reason. That's I don't so know funny. what it is. I feel that about all of the Steve Miller contributions. Interesting. Maybe Steve Miller's style, whatever it was at the time, was really heavily influenced. But every time I feel like he steps out of that like really classic Beatles-inspired 
McCartney songs. Mm -hmm. It's those, it's those collaborations. And that might be because he was being so heavily influenced by the Beatles, by the anthology, by working with them that, you know, he's just doing something different with somebody else, but I don't know. It just, it, it pulls me out just a little. That's so fascinating. I never thought about that. It never occurred to me that it's so 90s. But that's kind of how I feel about like the Elvis Costello stuff on Flowers in the Dirt. That sort of pulled me out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Well, we can't move on uh, from Young Boy without mentioning our friend Louis Perlman, who was on um, our June episode about Pride. And this song was a very big part of his coming out process to his parents. And uh, again, I'm happy to share this all the time on our social media, but we'll post the article that he wrote of a young boy um, and that experience. Yeah. I love that story. It makes me cry every time I read it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not, I'm I'm trying to be a big softy, but that one gets me. I mean, I really hope that somehow that story gets to Paul because I feel like he, you know, that wasn't the reason why he wrote it because it was more for his own son. Like he was inspired by his own son, but to have like to, to have another family across the world in Canada become more accepting of their son through listening to this song and hearing the message, I feel like that's just something that Paul would love to hear. And, yeah. you know, and it's, it's just, it's unique. It's a very unusual story. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful story. I, yeah, I hope, I hope someday dot, yeah. dot, dot, Paul will <laughs> find out that happened. And the reason I dot, dot, dotted there is because the next song we're going to talk about is Sundays. Speaking of Sunday. Uh, speaking of Sunday. Um, so this, we just talked about how young boy was a waiting for Linda song. This is another waiting for Linda song. And this one, I had a really interesting uh, genesis. So this time he was taken to somebody's home. Linda was cooking in their kitchen and he asked, you know, is there a room I can go into just to sit and like play guitar? So they put Paul in like their son's bedroom and it's, it's like a kid, which is random, but okay. And so this kid had like soccer posters all over the walls and was super into that. And so that inspired the line in some days, which is who won the match or scored the goal which is kind of what it's built around, I, you know, what Paul sort of started with. So interesting. It's a little yeah. peek into the way he writes and his thought process. Totally. And this track, you know, when you hear the demo on the box, uh, it's mostly complete. By the time he committed to tape, it was, it was mostly done, as he was wont to do during these Waiting for Linda times. It actually only took one day to get on tape in November 95, uh, although after that, Paul tapped George Martin for an orchestral arrangement recorded in June 96. And naturally, this is one of George's favorite tracks on the album. And his orchestral scoring is just impeccable. It's so good. I mean, it's like at Penny Lane level or In My Life level, and it's just, it screams George Martin to me. The second that instrumental counterpoint to the main melody comes on, it's it's. It's just so classically Beatlesque. Oh, totally. Whatever orchestral stuff is on this album is definitely like George Martin's fingerprint. Yes. And that's part of, I think, what makes it feel so timeless. We have memories of the Beatles and we have memories of that early McCartney-Martin collaboration and the orchestral arrangements. And it just feels, it feels so familiar because of that. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I love it. <laughs> now on to <sighs> this track. Mm. Little Willow, which was written pretty recently, you know, before the album was recorded. It was written in Jamaica on Paul's Holiday, which, you know, we've mentioned a couple of other songs that were recorded during that time. If you listen to it, it's about, God, how do I even describe what Little Willow is about? It's a tribute to someone 
who's obviously going through something or been through something. And Paul was at first really cagey about saying who it was about. He did say that it was about a dear friend uh, of the family who'd recently passed away and that the album, nope, the song was written uh, for this person's children, um, you know, to sort of comfort them. But around the time of the album's actual release, he conceded it was actually about Maureen Starkey, who had mm-hmm. passed away on December 30th, 1994, after a battle with leukemia. So sad. I know, I know. I love the song. I will not watch the video. The video is cursed. I literally put that in our notes because it's cursed. <laughs> it's awful. I, you know, they re-released it for this box. It's on the box, on the DVD with all the videos. It was the only one where I was watching the DVD and I had to skip it. Because it's... Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> I noped right out of there. I noped <laughs> away from that video. Because it is okay. the saddest thing. If you want to cry, and if you just want to feel bad the rest of the day, go watch the video for Little Willow. Okay? Because, oh my god, it's so, it's so sad. <laughs> it's so sad. It is beyond sad. Like, I can watch something and cry, and like, that was a nice, you know, that was a nice catharsis. This one is like, you feel like you're going to die for the rest of the day. <laughs> I <It's> totally <laughs> do. <laughs> so oh my god. Bad so sad it's not okay it really is not okay it's yeah it's it's pretty pretty sad so great yeah like you said erica great song nope right away from the video yeah maybe we can start the little willow challenge and we can do reaction oh, videos the people watching the, oh my God. the little willow challenge oh <laughs> god I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't do, do it, it either. That's hilarious. But if you're listening and you want to do the Little Willow Challenge. Yeah. Watch the film, video. Film yourself watching it. <laughs> Don't film the video. Don't show the video because it's, I can't watch it. But film yourself watching it. Oh, my God. I'm crying not from the video. I'm crying because hashtag Little Willow Challenge. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, my God. Oh, Lord. Oh, this has to be a thing. <sighs> this, yeah, this is going to be uh, interesting if anybody actually does this. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, tag us. <laughs> tag Please. us. And your little Willow challenge. Please. Oh, anywhere. Instagram, TikTok, like put it anywhere. Put we'll it, find it. Put it everywhere, actually. Yeah. Uh, let's get out of here. Let's go to If You Wanna, <laughs> which is not my favorite song on the album. It never has no. been. Nope, nope, nope. Nope. So Paul has said he wrote this one during the New World tour uh, in a hotel room in Minneapolis in May 93. He was thinking of a good like driving song or like a road trip song, kind of like Easy Rider. I guess I could hear it. I I didn't recognize it before I read that, but I I get it now. And he was also a bit inspired because he was in Prince's hometown. So I guess that influenced like the guitar parts and a bit of the melody. Yeah, this is actually Steve Miller's first appearance on the album. He plays guitar here, both acoustic and electric. Paul plays drums and acoustic. Very simple arrangement. It wasn't their first collab. That was Young Boy, which we just covered. Again, not not my favorite. I overall don't, I feel like the Steve Miller collaborations were the weakest on the album. But that might just be, I like, I like classic Paul and his anthology mindset better. After you said the thing about how the Steve Miller songs kind of sound dated, I totally hear that now. Now I'm thinking about If You Wanna, Used To Be Bad, you know, the, yep. which we're going to talk about next, coincidentally. Totally can hear that. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of Used To Be Bad. <laughs> yeah. Used to, yeah. There we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after collaborating with Steve Miller in Idaho, Paul invited him back to England to record in his studio. 
And he really wanted to kind of take advantage of Miller's knack for bluesy licks and the blues. So they semi-improvised, used to be bad, uh, where they trade lines back and forth throughout the track. And uh, Miller has said he also wanted to get Paul, quote unquote, singing blues. Why? Why do we have to have Paul singing the blues? There are lots of blues dudes who sing the blues. I don't know. Whatever. I just don't like these conversations. Go off. Go off. There are blues singers to sing the blues. Paul doesn't need to sing the blues. This song feels like a half-finished semi-jam that it is. It's, I skip it. I skip it. Uh, yeah, I've, I, I've got to say, I, I've skipped this song since I was like 14. Because I just like, you can tell it's like a, a jam and they're making it up as they go. And it's not that great. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, whatever. If it's your favorite, good for you. Let us know. Somebody's got to love this song. I want to hear somebody who's going to die on the hill of you to Yes, I'm all for people who die on hills that are random and weird. So if you die on the used to be bad hill, I'm... 100% supportive. That's great. You know, it's interesting, though, that the day before, Paul and Steve Miller had recorded Broomstick. That's on, like, what, the fourth? It's on the fourth, yeah. And so this one was thought to be the better choice to put on the final album. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that I'd argue with that. That's just what I'm saying about this collaboration. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, point, example. <laughs> I can't. Uh, well, so Broomstick, which if you've not heard it, it's included, like Erica said, in disc four with a couple of other tracks that were semi-destined for the album, which we'll mention in a little bit. But it was also issued as a second track on the Young Boy CD single when that came out. So it, it did see the light of day, but, you know, it didn't, didn't make it past used to be bad for the album. Yeah. So speaking mm-hmm. of jams that you skip on the album, uh, this... <laughs> I I want to mention this is my favorite Paul album. <laughs> uh, so really love you. Uh, first of all, it's the only McCartney Starkey writing credit in existence, which is unfucking believable. Seriously. Um, and I don't want to get myself in hot water, but it certainly sounds like a McCartney Starkey <laughs> writing credit. It's pretty much a jam. Paul has said that after Ringo was done recording the other tracks, uh, namely Beautiful Night for the album, they didn't want to stop having fun. They were like really enjoying just jamming and hanging out together. So they called over Jeff Lynn and they were like, hey, like, let's just sit here and jam. Which, by the way, if I were Jeff Lynn, I know he's like a big deal, but I would be like, holy shit, Paul and Ringo want to jam with me? You're still starstruck by that. Yeah, I would hope he's not jaded enough to be like, okay, whatever, who cares, you know. God, I hope Um, Yeah, so the lyrics are pretty nonsensical. They were making it up as they were going along. And uh, (laughs) Ringo has said of the track, which I actually love this because it's totally on the nose. He said, quote unquote, it's relentless. Agreed. Agreed, Ringo. 100% good review. It sounds also like a lot of Paul's Electric Arguments Fireman album, which was also Let's Make It Up in a Day on the Spot. This is like the level you get when Paul wants to jam. This is what you get. That's true. But I got to say, Electric Arguments is way better than Really Love You. I love parts of that album. <laughs> love that album. I love parts of the album very, very much, though. Yes. So maybe it makes up for that's That's that. true. That's true. So we're getting towards the end of our track list here, but this is 
probably the newest song in proximity to the album's release, Heaven on a Sunday. This is the one that gets stuck in my head a lot. Like you think about it once and you're like, screw the rest of the day. So this was written, Paul was out in the Hamptons one day on his little sailing boat called the Sunfish. Just a one person cedar in August of 96. And he says in the DVD, I thought it was really funny. You know, when you turn 40, you're supposed to like pick up a hobby. (laughs) I don't know how he came up with this. And he said, you know, since quote unquote life begins at 40, which I believe is a John quote, unless John nicked it from somewhere else. John definitely said it. I don't know where it came from, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so Paul decided to take up two things, painting and sailing. And I really liked where he went with this because he said those two things, painting and sailing, always seemed, quote unquote, for other people, meaning rich people when he was growing (laughs) up, which I've had moments of that in my life, too, even when I buy like the dress is not on sale. I'm like, oh, this is for rich people. You know, and Paul has had a lot of that historically. You know, he has said that even when he buys a guitar like full price, he's like, I can't really afford this. And I think when you grow up poor, like you always have that in your mind. So I think that's very cool that he was like, no, 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 I'm going to paint and I'm going to sail. And that's going to be what I do at 40. That is nice. I like his painting too. Yeah, I don't mind it. I like the abstract stuff. Yeah. So the peacefulness of being out on his little boat on this Sunday inspired the song and he said he liked the idea that heaven like during the week was crazy it was just busy like a madhouse but on a sunday it would be relaxed which it is the day of rest i know it is a very funny like mental image for me good insight on his uh idea of spirituality yes there you go again this song was written after linda had been diagnosed with cancer she's going through her treatments and as we've said about Paul's writing process, he always says, you know, it's whatever I write about, it's probably subconscious. And so this definitely, I think, relates back to that with heaven and the line that always echoes in my mind, which is if I only had one love, yours would be the one I'd choose. I definitely think that's subconscious Linda stuff. Yeah, now that now I'm sad. I know, I know. <laughs> well, listen to uh, the middle bit where Paul and James trade guitar solos. And so Paul was... Uh, on the acoustic guitar and Paul said in the liner notes, he left the young Turk to play the hot electric stuff. And it's really cute in the DVD because you watch Paul listen back to their recording and he's just like a proud dad. It's really cute. Really, really cute. James sounds great too. Yeah. They were just riffing. It's like, Oh, okay, James, could you go on to really love you? Like maybe that's a good idea. Like, (laughs) no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, let's just leave that where it is let's leave that where it is let's go to the first song on the album because i love this song and it sets it up perfectly i feel like this is another track written in jamaica january 95 called the song we were singing which again was almost a title of the album it was recorded during paul's first session with jeff lynn nine months after jeff lynn produced the beatles single real love and this is kind of the ultimate nostalgia track paul has said that it was inspired by thinking back on memories of like passing out a pipe and like hanging out with friends and like, just like talking all night in the sixties. Oh yeah. Cause that, that's only happened to him in the sixties. Well, it's, I keep laughing, but like, I keep thinking about the DVDs included in the box because there's a lot of scenes with Paul, like sitting around a fire. Like I imagine from the Hamptons and him just like looking totally disheveled. 
in like a robe oh and like all this pajamas, like it's pajamas or whatever. And he's like poking at a fire. <laughs> and I'm like, Paul, you're sitting around a fire right now. Anyway. Uh, yeah. He was probably stoned. Probably. I would like to think so. Although mm-hmm. there are different parts where he's like cutting down trees. So hey, I hope he's not stoned for that. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, on this on this track, Paul plays a stand-up bass belonging to Sun Session musician Bill Black. Bill Black was, he played on a lot of Elvis Presley's early and greatest hits. It's actually a right-handed bass, but Paul sort of figured his way out his way to play it uh, left-handed. And he proudly shows off on the DVD how he can play Heartbreak Hotel. That's just so cute. It's very cute. And it's even cuter when you know that Linda bought the bass for Paul for his birthday in 1974. She was good at the gifts. Yeah, she knocked it out of the park. Again, it's got that timeless Paul sound, most likely influenced by the anthology sessions, working again with Jeff Lind. It almost sounds like Rocky Raccoon to me with like I can kind of that. a nice feel. Yeah, I can hear that. It's cool. It's weird. I like it. It's a great way to start it off. The demo of this track, too, has the same sort of vocal flourish that he uses um, on the finished version. And it's got two extra verses. It almost sounds like another song. And then, the, then a plane flies over. So it's really got everything. All the things I like in a song. I know. Plane noises. Check. <laughs> All right. So we've come to the end of the track listing. So let's talk a little bit more about these releases. Flaming Pie was released as part of the Grammy-winning McCartney Archive series. If you're not familiar with all the different configurations, check out paulmccartney.com. They're all up on there. We're going to talk about the 3LP and the Deluxe Edition, which as of right now are both sold out. But I've noticed they restock every so often. So check back on paulmccartney.com for those if you don't have them. Or check out your local indie retailer. Because I've seen people sort of scooping them up. Um, at record stores. They might be on eBay too. Oh yeah. But also while you're waiting for your your album to come, they are on Spotify so you can hear this music before you get the physical copy. Indeed. So the three LP, which is magnificent, it's the original album on two LPs and then there's one LP of the home recording slash demos of some of the tracks. The deluxe edition, it comes in this beautiful case. It's velour or not velour like not velvet it's but it's really soft um it almost feels like a a bound book without its jacket it attracts cat hair like you would not believe um uh. i know that because science mm-hmm. <laughs> because i'm a cat um who hi epi yeah side note this deluxe edition comes in like a cardboard like not a box but sort of like a frame around it to keep it nice and Epi immediately co-opted that. And now it's still laying on our floor, but it's like totally flat. He's just, he doesn't <laughs> even care. He just loves it. Um, cats. Yeah, exactly. And so this baby has seven discs, five CDs, two DVDs. With CD one is the remastered album. Two is the home recording. So that's what you get in the three LP version. CD three studio demos. And this, I was very pleasantly surprised when I saw that it includes a rough mix of whole life. Oh, cool. Yeah, which I forgot about that song totally, but I remember loving it when it came out. I remember that was like one of the only things I ever bought from iTunes was Whole Life. Oh, nice. (laughs) Because that was the only way to get it. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So definitely um, that is a real gem. There's a lot of gems, but that one was really cool. CD4, Miscellaneous Recordings. We've mentioned Broomstick. There's also a track on it called The Ballad of the Skeletons, which is a collab between Paul and Allen Ginsberg, of all people. Uh, that sounds weird. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds weird. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's also on Spotify, so you can check it out. 
um, for those of you who don't, uh, yeah, who don't have access immediately to it. And then, yeah, it's got tracks, Almost Made on Flaming Pie, Looking for You, Love Come Tumbling Down. And some of these actually have handwritten facsimile uh, the lyrics in the box as well. So many little physical Easter eggs in oh, this box. Oh, dude, totally. And CD4 also has parts one through six of Paul's radio show, Ubu Jubu, which... I was expecting more from those cuts of Ubu Jubu. Really? There's some cool stuff on it, but they just kind of mashed it all together in like six, eight minute tracks. Yeah. But there's, there's hours and hours of Ubu Jubu that you can find on YouTube. Yeah, I remember like coming across that stuff in like the early aughts online and just being like, what the hell is this? But yeah, Ubu Jubu is definitely worth tracking down. We should do an episode about Ubujubu. It's the weirdest thing. We should. I love, it. I love it. That was my Tumblr name for a long time was Ubujubu. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> I know. I think it might still be, but I don't really use my Tumblr, so. Uh, my Macabre username was Ubujubu, actually. What? Yeah. Weird. Oh my God. Dude, that's awesome. That's great. <laughs> that's I'm impressed that you claim that. CD5 on this is called Fleming Pie at the Mill, uh, which is an hour-long recording of Paul giving a tour of a studio, the Mill in Sussex. There's some footage, you know, honestly, I, I glossed over this one a little bit just because there's a lot of footage from the studio tour in the DVDs. And DVD one is the In the World Tonight documentary about the making of Flaming Pie. So you do see a lot of Paul's studio. He, you know, you see the bass, you see the boards, you see him playing the intro to Strawberry Fields Forever, like that kind of thing. But you also see a lot of behind the scenes footage of Paul and Ringo and the recording of You're a Bastard, which I mentioned before. <laughs> Linda is in it quite oh. a bit. So that is just absolutely wonderful to see her. Yeah, just generally great footage of 90s Paul when he was super normcore. And he was like just dressing like shit and just being a guy. Like I miss Fashion that. I miss that so... Paul so much. We have him preserved for forever. We do in these documentaries. Now, are these is the CD and the DVD? Are they all contemporary to the recording of Flaming Pie, or are they new as of now? No, they are contemporary to the recording. Yes. Oh, cool. Yes, uh, which is very yeah. So you do get to see like. It's just 90s Paul's natural habitat. It's wonderful. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. And then DVD 2 kind of has everything else. So it has all the music videos for Young Boy, The World Tonight, Beautiful Night, plus I'm making of the Beautiful Night music video, which it's not the one that you were mentioning, Erica, because there are a couple. It's the one where like Linda's in the phone booth and Paul's sort of like controlling everything like he's God. Oh. Yeah. So there's a making of that video. And then, of course, there's the cursed uh, video for Little Willow. Hashtag Little Willow Challenge. Do it. <laughs> there you go. That's where you can find it if you can't find it on YouTube, but it's on YouTube. Uh, anyway, and then there's what I really liked on this DVD is there's a clip of the Fleming Pie artwork meeting where they're talking. Oh my God. About, yeah, where they're talking about like the cover and like the different, there's like little flowers and things inside the liner notes, and it's like Paul and Linda. And a couple of the people involved in the production sitting around talking about it. It's very cool. And Paul sort of like whips out this um, version of the cover, which is what is the final cover. But it's he like, like colored it and drew all over it and stuff. Yeah, it's cool. I, I really enjoyed that little peek into that process. I would love to see that. I mean, when I'm not podcasting, I'm an art director. So that would there be so go. cool. Yeah, I'm sure it'll end up on YouTube, I hope. 
Anyway, so yeah, rounding out DVD two is gosh, interviews, EPKs, performances. It's pretty long and it's got a lot of stuff on it. So you definitely feel like you could have a good afternoon with this DVD. Also included a 128 page book, amazing Chris Heath liner notes. um, You know, there's track annotations. And this is where the little booklet of pie recipes by Linda come into play because they're stuck into this book. And so, as I said, I made two of them. One was like a cheese pie and the other one was like a tomato pie. Um, Oh my God, they're so good. I want to eat them now. Oh, dude. Okay. So the tomato pie, I think I need to tweak it a little bit. It was good. It was great. But I, yeah, I kind of know what I did wrong and it was all me because I am not a cook, but I think next time I make it, it'll be better. But the cheese pie, holy shit. It was so good. It, yeah, it. I don't even know. I mean, if you're saying cheese and pie and it's the same recipe, you can't go wrong. Dude, yeah. So she (laughs) didn't have in her, she sort of just had like, um, you know, the pie base and then like a layer of onions. But I added like a layer of spinach and I put some garlic in there as well. And then I poured on the cheese, which is just like a a heart attack uh, inducing Mm -hmm. amount of like cheddar cheese mixed with heavy cream. Oh my Um, God. So this is basically health food. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is just like the the core of the pie. And then you just bake it. And it is, oh, oh my God. Like, yeah, I need to make it again, but I'm trying not to. <laughs> basically. I think you need to take some pictures of those things and text them to me because I need to make those pies. Oh, yes. I have I have pics. And, and in fact, in the, on the cheese one, I tried to draw the flaming pie on it. Um, mm-hmm. I tried. I tried. Oh, I, know, told, I, I saw that. Yeah, it was cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I tried. And uh, yeah. So yeah, you too can make these pies, this little booklet. And I will make those once I get my flaming pie oven mitt. Oh my God, you have to. So good. Also in this box, two folios with all kinds of pullouts. There's, you know, a copy of the club sandwich, which I have right next to me. Um, it's, you know, a facsimile, obviously, of the original that came out with flaming pie. Club sandwich is Paul's long running newsletter. And while I was like looking at this, I'm like, why did they ever stop Club Sandwich? Because this was like hashtag iconic. I think when Linda died, he closed it down. Oh, yeah. That makes me sad. Yeah, it was like homegrown. Like it was really from them. And so yeah. I don't think it had the heart to continue it after that. Oh, okay. Well, that makes me sad. But anyway, so you can you have your Club Sandwich in there. And you have the Flame newsletter, which was sort of like just a PR thing for the album. And then you have uh, a pick that falls out. Like I said, I would have lost it had I not known it was in there. Tons of reproductions of handwritten lyrics. And there's also a reproduction of John Hamill, who was Paul's assistant at the time, his notebook from the recording studio. And his job was to write down what everybody played on every note of the album. So you have all of that. Plus, they've printed out like photos that you would get, like maybe like at Walgreens, you're printing out digital prints. Um, and just sort of stuck in the in the notebook um, randomly of all the instruments, well, some of the instruments used on the album. And then it's written on the back, like, Hoffner bass, like, like we don't know. And, like, the different names of the instruments, which is really cool. It feels real. It feels like, you know, you picked up the real thing. So much care was put into this box. Oh, my gosh, so much. And it deserved it. Like, I'm just... So yeah, I I advocate for this box because it just it really does my favorite album justice. I'm so happy with it. But yeah, so again, like check out shop.paulmccartney.com or your local record store. 
support your indie retailers. It was just yes. record store day. It's going to be record store day again next month. So get out there and uh, call your record store if you don't know where you can get this set. Sometimes they can order it. So that's my PSA. Any closing thoughts on Fleming Pie, Erica? I just love seeing these Paul McCartney albums come out again. They do such a wonderful job with them musically, with visually, and with all of the things like the Instagram filter that they had to put yourself on the cover of the Flaming Pie album. I just love seeing the Paul McCartney team taking an album and reinventing it. So, and, And this one is a particularly great album. So they really pulled out all the stops for this. And I think that it was it's a wonderful addition to the archive collection. And it's just really lets you in on the recording process. And it was such a special time with the Beatles anthology just coming out and working with Ringo, with George Martin. So thumbs up from me. I love it. Yes. How about you? Any last thoughts? Agreed. I mean, yeah, co-signed everything you said. I am beyond thrilled with this. Yeah, I mean, the Paul McCartney team is unreal. Like, I used to work in social media, and I am just marveling, marveling what they do and how they bring, you know, the listener into the experiences with these albums. So I'm so excited that Flint and Pie got the treatment. I can't believe it still. And yeah, just A++++++. It's like the scene in The Christmas Story, the teacher writing on the board, A++++. That's what it is. So hooray. Hooray, Fleming Pie. Yay, Flaming Pie. Yay, Paul. Yay for pie in general. Yay for pie. Now I want pie. I think that it's time to go make some pie. pie. Yeah. Okay. Let's go get pie. All right. And thank you so much for listening to BC The Beatles. Yes. And as always, subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening right now, and give us a rating, review, so other Beatle maniacs can find us. Also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I would suggest that if you have not done it, yet do it before john's birthday because we're going to be doing some stuff so yes. be there yes be there for our stuff also you can always email us at bc the beatles at gmail.com see you next time Bye. Bye.